All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, LifePoint family. Uh, welcome back. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, guests, we always say this to our folks who are new. Uh, we're grateful that you're here uh, to just kind of help you through the morning. There are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. Feel free. I know sometimes you may not know, can I pull my phone out in church? Yes, you can. Uh, you can download our app if you're uh, ready to do that. You just search LifePoint Ohio at the App Store. But if not, lpguest.com is there for you. So you can point your smartphone at that QR code. It'll take you to lpguest.com and you'll find the message notes there uh, for this morning, our church calendar, everything just to kind of help orient you uh, to our church, help you through the morning. There's also a guest information card there if you wouldn't mind. It takes about 90 seconds to fill it out. We'd love to get some feedback and also you'll see a list list of local ministries from around our community listed there. Those are partner ministries of ours that we serve alongside and give to. And so uh, if you'll just choose one of those, we'll donate $5 in your honor. No strings attached, just our way of saying uh, thanks so much for being with us this morning. A um, couple of things before we jump back in. So particularly some things pertaining to LifePoint kids. So uh, parents, last week you probably got one of these, uh, what we're calling just Sunday fun days throughout the summer. There are four Sundays throughout the summer that uh, back in LifePoint kids, we're going to have uh, Dr. Magic Smile is coming one week, the fire department's coming week, just some fun activities for the kids, but also an opportunity for some of our LifePoint kids team members to have a break. Uh, and also really what we'd love is if you're a parent and you're not serving in LifePoint Kids, if you're not serving at all, if you're not yet on a life team, uh, there are four Sundays listed here, and we're inviting you to pick one of those Sundays and to go back and sort of watch in LifePoint Kids what happens there. I know uh, we've asked folks, hey, please take a step to serve into kids, and sometimes it's like, man, I just don't know what happens back there, and uh, maybe it seems a little scary, like a full hour with children, what's that even like? And, and so we'd like to sort of demystify that for you and give you an opportunity to go see it firsthand what happens in LifePoint Kids and the amazing, the amazing job uh, that that team does and all the folks serving there in LifePoint Kids. And so and I know the people serving LifePoint Kids would love to say, hey, welcome to the team. So these are available uh, at Guest Central if you did not get one where it says Sunday Fun Day and you choose one. It's pretty self-explanatory, but uh, the instructions are there. Also, uh, parents, throughout the summer, I know, you know, sometimes you get to summer and routines are uh, totally shot. You're like, what are we gonna do? And, uh, and so we wanna encourage you to be intentional with the extra time you have with your kids this summer. And so there's a uh, family discipleship adventure. Uh, this is back at LifePoint Kids. There's a whole booth set back there with all of this information there. So there's the, the packet and also this kind of gives you the instructions. There's a little sort of map, roadmap they follow throughout the summer, different challenges, different activities, and they get to stamp those off one by one. And if you finish it throughout the course of June and July, there's a drawing at the end. I think the grand prize is a membership to the zoo or to COSI, one of those, one of those two. And so uh, families, again, if you you're kind of looking for, hey, what's something I can do intentionally with my kids uh, in their discipleship this summer? That family discipleship adventure is there for you back in LifePoint Kids. And so uh, LifePoint Kids team, thank you for all the work that you do. We are, uh, we're in our labels series right now. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 7. And uh, as you turn there, let me remind you, we've, we've gone the book, month of May, we read through the gospel, read our way through the entire gospel of Luke. As we go into June, we are 
We're praying our way through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to focus on sharing the Gospel as we get into August or into July and into the early part of August. But here in, in June, we are praying our way through the Gospel of Luke. So doing sort of one chapter a day, just like we read through it. Started on Wednesday. Tomorrow would be chapter five, going back over what you've read and praying that back to the Lord. And also we've challenged you to set a reminder at 10.02 each day uh, to pray Luke 10.2, where it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few that there are many people who are ready to hear uh, of Christ and to follow him, but what's few are the people who are willing to go and to share Christ and to be disciple makers. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest, Luke says, that he would raise up laborers for the harvest. So we've challenged you to pray each day. Uh, we'll take, you can take Sundays off as we gather together and pray, but set a reminder at 10.02, pray the harvest forward and also pray through those chapters. So again, we're in chapter five uh, tomorrow. Uh, but we've been going through mostly chapter by chapter through Luke. We'll continue that for the rest of the summer. And we've had a big idea in the series, something we've said pretty much every week, and that is that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. I don't think I have to explain this to you, uh, but we live in a culture that labels people, right? Places a label, loves to put people into different camps and often disassociate themselves from one another based on those labels and based on those camps. Okay, you're in that camp and I'm in this camp and we don't talk to each other. We're going to read this morning a story of a woman who was labeled very much so by the greater culture, particularly by those who were in power or in influence, who labeled her and immediately said, okay, that's not someone we associate with. But as we're going to see this morning, Jesus calls his followers to a life above that, to a life that says, no, it's not about what culture has labeled you. And it's not about what you've labeled you. It's about what I say about you. And I've said that you are new. Jesus says you're new, forgiven, free. If you're his follower, the only label, I guess, if you could say it that way, that we wear is that of Jesus' follower. And so uh, we've gone through, I'm not going to go back over all of Luke 1 through 6. If you want to uh, go back through and listen to the messages, it's all available on our website. You can go just to the Delaware campus and, and follow back along with what we've been going through. But Luke has been telling us story after story after story, illustrating sort of a singular point, And that is that Jesus really is the Messiah. That means anointed one. He really is the son of God, the one that was promised in the Old Testament. And the reason, kind of how he's doing that is going story by story and saying, what normal man, what normal person could do this? Only the son of God could do this. Only the son of God can look at people and say, you're forgiven of your sin. And we keep seeing that refrain. We saw it last week where Jesus is like, man, your, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's kind of freaking out going, who forgives sins? And Luke keeps telling it to say, it's the Son of God. Jesus can. And I, don't, I hope we don't miss that, just how big of a deal it is, because you could read it and just sort of move on and say, yeah, I mean, I know that. But no, like, like Jesus is looking at people saying, you are free and clean by grace through faith in me. You are free. You are clean. You are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done and how many times you've done it. In, through faith, by grace, you are forgiven. If your heart is repentant, right? I was trying to explain that word to my six-year-old this week, right? Like, what does repentance mean, Dad? I'm like, well, it means that not just to, like, when you're sorry, yeah, but it's more than just being sorry. It, it literally means to, to turn away from that. You were going this direction, then you stopped and you went a different direction. You were running in your sin and then you stopped and said, there was a change of heart, a change of mind that says, now I'm running toward Christ. I am sorry for these things and I'm turning away from them and I'm running after 
the Lord in repentance, in humility. And Jesus has the authority to look at any person here, doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've done it, to look at you and say, if your heart is repentant because of what I did at the cross, because of what he did at the cross, when he took your sin, you are free and you are forgiven and you are made right with God. And Jesus actually has the authority to say that. And that's what Luke is trying to prove to us. And uh, he, uh, he does it here again in Luke 7. He tells us several stories, but we're going to focus on the last one here. Luke 7, verse 36. We'll start there. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. One of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table, which sign of fellowship, right? And uh, don't miss this as well. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you, it's easy to maybe get the impression, I don't think Jesus likes the Pharisees. You could come away with that, right? Because he often is, is his harshest words are reserved often for the Pharisees. And, but it's not that he doesn't like them. Jesus loves them. He calls them. He tells them, I want you to know who I am. I want you to believe but they don't, by and large. They continue in their sin and their self-righteousness and in their hypocrisy and pride. And Jesus lovingly, but forcefully, <laughs> calls them out on it repeatedly. On, man, you guys say this, but you do this. You're all about appearances, but not about the heart. So, but, but you find him often eating in a Pharisee's home. He receives the invitation. He goes, and he's reclining there at table. And it says, verse 37, behold... A woman of the city who was a sinner. And that phrase, right, it, it's not just like, yes, she sinned, as do we all, but, but they had sort of a category, like that's a sinner, somebody it was, who had sort of publicly known. They had lived a life that in violation of God's law. And so she, it, it, it's pretty well known, like she is a sinner. She's been labeled that. And it says, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she came she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. She brings this, and from what we know, it's basically a big jar of perfume, and it's incredibly expensive. One of the other stories, there are versions of this type of story, probably two different incidences across the four Gospels, but one says that it's 300 uh, denarii, which a denarius was a day's wage. 300 days, like, I mean, a year's salary. It, it, it may be might not be an exaggeration to say it's the most valuable possession she has. And she brings it, as we're going to see, to the feet of Jesus. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, incredibly expensive, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I want to just pause there because I think it would be easy to miss the, the beauty of this moment. You could just read that and it sort of sounds strange to us. And so you just, oh, okay, and you move on. But I don't want us to miss the profound power and beauty of what just happened. And we've talked about this several times. Whose job was it to wipe someone's feet when they came in the door? It was a servant. The lowest job, cleaning the feet of a traveler. And this woman, right, comes in and, and she's cleaning Jesus' feet with the most expensive gift she probably excuse me, the most expensive gift she probably has. And it says she does it with her hair. 
So, so here's the conundrum of this moment. Um, the humility, simultaneous, the, the humility and the boldness of the woman. So the gospel has this incredible way of making someone incredibly humble and incredibly bold at the same time. For a woman to undo her, in their culture, for a woman to undo her hair in public was considered disgraceful or shameful. If she were married, it, it actually was, it was a possible grounds for divorce, which is crazy to us, right? I mean, but, but I'm just trying to get us to understand the situation. So she does something that you're not supposed to do in public to begin with. She, she noticed, so she didn't, if you read it, she didn't have an invite to the party. <laughs> this is a, so in their culture, very divided, men and women. So it's a man's party. Women aren't supposed to be there anyway. And certainly, like, she's not the right type of person to be at this party. She didn't get an invite. It's a religious leader's home with Jesus there. And you notice she just walks right in, in front of all these guys. Clearly, right, everybody's looking at her like, why is she here? And seemingly, she doesn't care. We talked about it last week with the leper who ran to Jesus, that sort of desperation to get, I just got to get to Jesus. There's this incredible boldness in her. This woman who just says, I don't care that I don't have an invite. I don't care that everyone's going to look at me and turn their nose up at me. I don't care that this is going to be crazy. I mean, it probably went silent, right? You ever walked into a, a restaurant where everybody was the usuals and you were the person who was visiting, right? And you walk in and like every, kind of everything stops and everyone's like, look at you at the door and you're like, hi. <laughs> Apparently I'm not supposed to be here, right? And she just walks right in. It goes straight to Jesus. I don't care if I have to unbind my hair. It's all I have available. And I'm going to use it to wash his feet as I anoint his feet with the perfume and I weep over them. The most expensive gift I have for the Savior. It's this incredible boldness and yet humility as she goes to the one that she knows can make her whole all at the same time. It's incredibly beautiful. Coming to Jesus, it may have been, one scholar says that if you do a harmony of the gospels, you learn that right before this, Jesus taught, come to me all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. We wonder, did she, was she there for that sermon? Did she hear that and say, I need to get to that man because I believe he can give me rest. Is that where she heard the gospel and embraced that Jesus, what he did at the cross, what he's going to do at the cross, right, for her, it's going to be enough for me. That man can make me whole. And so she comes to him, and everything about her actions says that she is incredibly grateful and in love with Christ and treasures him above all else because she says, here's probably the, most, the greatest gift I have to the one who can save me, and I'll weep here at your feet and wash them with my very hair. Surely that would move anyone, right? To, to see that would, would probably move them to tears. You would think, if you think everyone there had to look at this and say, what an incredible display of brokenness and affection and healing as Jesus sits there and compassionate towards it. Surely that would move everyone. Surely it would move Simon is the guy's name, by the way, the Pharisee, his name is Simon. Surely it would move Simon, wouldn't it? Let's look at his response, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, note, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, 
right? Other stories seem to indicate it's often people kind of thinking this. They like mutter to themselves or think it in their own. So he didn't say it to Jesus. He didn't say it, but he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, man, that's just awful. Good in some way, like it is. (laughs) That is correct, right? But at the same time, I want us to, to do a little bit of a heart check. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, how could he miss the beauty of this moment and only see, only see that she's a sinner and if Jesus were a prophet, he, he wouldn't even be associating with her. Can I just ask that you would check your own heart, check my own heart? Because we may not talk like that. We may not say those exact same words, but man, the, the Pharisee's attitude and heart is alive and well today. That self-righteousness and pride easily I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others over and over. Pride and self-righteousness just easily sneak their way and find their way into our hearts. So probably a good mental exercise uh, for us to do is to go through and say, man, what if this were my party? What if I were Simon and I invited Jesus to come to my house and, you know, you got people there and there's some important people there and you're trying to make a good impression and, and then all of a sudden someone crashes your party who clearly is not supposed, they're not the right type of person to be at that party and they roll in and they're kind of making a scene, right? What's, what's going on in your heart and your mind in that moment? Are you, are you watching this scene going, man, that's beautiful? Or are you watching that scene going, it's kind of ruining the vibe of my party. When is she going to leave? This is awkward. She's not supposed to be here. There's another t- not the time or place for this. What's going on in your heart and your mind? What's going on in mine? All the Pharisee can think as he watches this, she's a sinner. <laughs> like she's got a clearly unclean life. She doesn't follow God's law. She's made a mess of her life. And all he can think is that. And then, man, if this Jesus guy that I've heard so much about, if he were really a prophet, and of course he's not the Messiah. He's not even a prophet. Because if he knew he, if he were a prophet, he would know what she's done and he would know not to associate with her. Now, Jesus' answer to Simon, so again, what's Luke trying to show us? Jesus isn't just a prophet. He really is the Messiah. And so Jesus decides to respond to Simon and note this, right? He knows what Simon is thinking. You see that in multiple stories, right? It's part of that evidence of, is this man really just a man or is he the son of God? The answer is he's the son of God because he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. He knows exactly what's going on in Simon's heart and mind because he says this, verse 40, and Jesus answering him or answering said to him, notice again, he didn't say it to Jesus, but Jesus pipes up and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus tells him a story. So Simon, a certain money lender, had two debtors. So somebody who was lending money had two people that he lent money to. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Once again, a denarius was a day's wage. So one owed him 500 days, like a year and a half salary. It's enormous, right? $100,000, $150,000, whatever. I mean, like it's big. And the other owed him fifty. dollars So it's not, I mean, it's not, not insignificant, but it's one-tenth, right? I mean, you got somebody who owes 
tens of $100,000, someone who owes maybe a few thousand dollars. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose. I love I suppose in there because I kind of wonder if Simon knows what's happening. He's like, what's what's Jesus doing here, right? I feel like this, what am I walking into here? I don't know that for sure, but I wonder. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. That one will love the the moneylender. Both were bankrupt. Both couldn't pay the moneylender back. But in grace, the moneylender said, I'm just going to cancel both. He says, I I suppose the one who had the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. That's correct, Simon. Because Jesus is going to say, what he's doing here is there's a direct connection between the debt you've been forgiven and the level of debt, the, the amount of forgiveness you've received and the amount of affection you feel toward the one who forgave you. Does that make sense? He says there's a direct connection between being forgiven and experiencing grace and knowing how much you've been forgiven and the way in which your heart responds to that. Great forgiveness leads to great love and affection. That's where we're headed. And he tells Simon, it'd be like someone coming to you, right, and saying, hey, I paid your mortgage this month. Your response to that would be what? Thank you. Wow. Big difference if someone comes to you and says, hey, I paid your mortgage, period. Some of us are like, like, I got like 25 years left, right? That's way different than I paid it this month versus I just paid it off. Your response to that person is going to be what? Like you might just sit there in stunned silence for a bit before you cry or hug them awkwardly for a long time, right? Where they're like, hey, you can let me go now, right? Like, no, right? Like just, and that's Jesus, that's what he's getting at here. He says, you've judged rightly, Simon. And now here's where he, not meanly, not being mean, but Jesus is gonna drive in the point now. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, just picture in your mind here, right? She's sitting here weeping at his feet, washing his feet with her hair pouring this incredibly expensive perfume on him. He turns to the woman and saying to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Such a powerful question. Do you see her? The answer is, right, it's a rhetorical question, but it's no, (laughs) of course you don't. Because from the moment she walked in, all you could think about is that she's a sinner. Of course you don't see her. You don't see her heart. You don't see the change. You don't see the beauty. You don't see any of it. Because all you can think about is she's not the right type of person. She's not someone you hang out with. She's not something you want your kids to be around. She's not a good person. And so you don't see her. All you saw was her sin. And you judged her from the moment you walked in. Or she walked in. Do you see her? No, you don't, Simon. Because you've labeled her. And then he goes on to do this. And again, he's not being mean, but it is heavy. He's going to contrast everything she did with everything he didn't. He says, Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
Now, so we understand the context there. All the things he just said, that was like common hospitality. Somebody walks in our door, we say hi, shake their hand, take their coat, right? That's what he's getting at here. He's like, so when they walked in, giving someone water for their feet, ointment maybe for their head, right? So they, I mean, this is kind of a stinky place. It's hot, right? They don't have deodorant back then. Like the, all the things you might do to care for someone when they came into your home. He's like, Simon, you didn't do any of it. And he's not like mad at him, but he's just like, you didn't go out of your way in any way, shape or form to show affection to me, which shows the state of your heart. You don't treasure me. You don't value me. Meanwhile, since I've walked in here, she's wetting my feet with her tears. She's unbound her hair because it's the only thing she has available to wash my feet. She's poured probably the most expensive gift she has all over me to anoint me. She hasn't stopped showing affection and heart level love toward me since I walked in the door. Simon, meanwhile, your actions show the coldness, the lukewarmness of your heart. And it shows that you don't really understand your brokenness and you don't really understand grace or forgiveness. Your actions reveal that because as he's gonna go on to say, little forgiveness equals little love. Verse 47 says, therefore I tell you, right? You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, her sins, which are many, now, he's going to say are forgiven, but I want to pause there for a moment because I think that's so important. So, so we, live in a, <clears throat> we live in a cultural moment, right? This, don't miss this. He looks at the woman, he says, her sins, which are many. We live in a cultural moment where we'd like to rewrite the story, right? What we would love Jesus to say in that moment is, do you see this woman, right? Simon, she's not even a sinner. That's just mean to call someone a sinner, in fact, sin, that's an antiquated idea. That's a religious construct to try to keep people down so that they feel bad about themselves and that way people can like control them. Like, Let's just get rid of all that, right? She doesn't have anything to be sorry for. What's important is that she gets to use her body however she wants, that you get to use your time however you want, your money however you want, that you just do you and your self-expression, that's the most important thing for you to be happy. That's what we'd like, that's what the culture would sort of rewrite into Jesus' mouth, right? There's no such thing as sin. It's just your circumstances, that's what's happened to you. And, and hear me clearly, there's a very good corrective. Some of us lean like hard on the personal responsibility and you got to take, and, and man, there's a good, two things can be simultaneously true. You can have things that you've done and you can also have things that have been done to you. You can look at someone's circumstance and say, this was not your fault. But we tend to err on one side or the other. It's all your fault or you didn't do anything wrong. You're entirely a victim of your circumstances. Two things can be simultaneously true. Someone can have a hard life and the circumstances, it's not your fault. There's things done to you. That's why Jesus talks about, right, by his wounds were healed. The language of healing. Some of us just, we, we need that healing and Christ brings it. But for all of us, the reality is there are also things we've done. There's real sin in our life and it needs not just healing, but forgiveness. So Jesus doesn't look at her and say, hey, there's nothing to worry about here. He says, no, sins, which are many. But then he goes on to say, she's been washed clean. You've been washed clean. 
Do you know what is so much better? So much better than trying to look at someone and say, hey, all those things that you've done that you, you're not proud of, rather than just trying to cope with them or explain them away and say, hey, you know what? You don't actually have anything to be sorry for. Because here's what happens. If the Bible's true, and our sin is real, like there's real sin in my life and in your life and it's separated us from God, the best we can do is we just suppress it. We explain it away, we justify it, we rationalize it and we suppress it. But what happens is in those quiet moments and in the lonely moments, it starts to bubble back up and you're like, man, I don't think I'm right with God. No, 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 you got nothing to be sorry. Just shove it back down, shove it back down. Right? No, 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 I, you know what? I, I'm right, I'm right. And then it's like, man, what if there's something wrong? <laughs> no, 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 just... Push it back down, suppress it, explain it away. You know what's so much better than that? Having someone just take it away and being free. You might picture it like this. If I looked at you, right, and said, hey, here's a backpack filled with 100 pounds. I just want you to wear that wherever you go. <laughs> Could you function? Probably. But it would crush you over time as you do everything, Right? As you do, at, now some of us, me, I'll just probably tip over, right? But for some of us, you could, like, you could wear it around. You're like, ah, I can, I can wear this, right? But you do everything with it, a hundred, just everything weighed down, everything weighed down. You bend over, you get up in the morning, you go to bed at night, you're playing with your kids, whatever it is. Like, you got this hundred pound backpack on. It's like, this is exhausting. It is weighing me down, clinging to me. Do you know what is so much better than saying, just pretend it's not there? What's so much better is someone saying, let me take that from you and let me wear it on your behalf so you can be free. That's forgiveness. That's what Jesus does at the cross as he says, I took your sin. I took your debt. I paid for your sin. I, I bore the wrath of God. I bore the punishment for that sin against myself. I took it on myself in love for you. Your sins, my sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven and you're free. That is so much better than just saying, hey, pretend it's not there. You acknowledge it and you bring it to Jesus' feet and he washes you clean. He says her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, don't get this confused. This is so important, all right? Some, some folks as reading that have said, Jesus is saying, she was forgiven, forgiven much before she loved much. And they've said, oh, it's because she loved much. So they, they flip it around, right? If you love him much and you have this great show of affection, then you'll be forgiven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not even what Jesus is saying here because then he, he draws the connection right after that, right? He says, for those who are forgiven little, love little. He's drawing the connection between forgiveness and love. And he says, which one comes first? Forgiveness. And it results in love. When you recognize the depth of your sin and the height of God's grace, it leads to an overflow of affection toward Christ, treasuring him above all else. When you really embrace, that's what he's saying. Okay, saying when you really get like, man, this hill of sin in my life, Jesus leveled it when he went to the hill of Calvary. It overflows in your life to say, man, I love Christ and he is, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of my greatest gift. I could never repay him in the first place. When we really embrace that as this woman did, when you really embrace, I was dead in my sin, but Jesus has made me alive. God's made me alive through Christ. 
I was rebelling against God and God in love sent Jesus running after me. My sin was great, but his grace was greater. When that happens, when you see that mountain of debt and the fact that that mountain's been taken away as Jesus nailed it to the cross and that you really are free and forgiven that Jesus took it on himself, it, what it does in your life is you begin to say, man, I am incredibly grateful and I love Christ in humble, humbleness, I come before him, weeping at his feet. Here's my greatest gift, Jesus. I love you and treasure you above all else because I can never repay you for what you've done for me. That's how that works. It's not like, I need to work on gratitude. I'm gonna think about being more grateful. Think about what Christ has done for you. It'll result in gratitude. I need to work on being humble, right? Man, <laughs> you ever stood in front of the ocean and just looked at the vastness of it? You feel about this big. Stare into the face of God and all that he's done for you. It'll humble you in the best of ways. That's what's happened here in this woman's life. Everything in her, everything in her actions here shows she's seen, here was the weight of my sin and Jesus' grace was greater. And on the flip side, then there's Simon. Right? So, so here's the reality. This is a little bit of a diagnostic question for you. If you're sitting there wondering, have I experienced grace? Have I really understood the gospel and experienced the grace of God? I would say, ask yourself, what is your affection? What's your level of affection toward Jesus? And not just like, just in feelings. I'm saying, what's, how do you view him? What's your attitude toward him? When you think of Christ, when you think of Jesus, is there an overflow in your heart and life of love and obedience to him and affection? And like this woman, Jesus, you're worthy of everything. Here's my life. I could never repay you. Or is it that of Simon? Where honestly, when you look at your heart, it's like, I mean, yeah, like I like Jesus well enough. I invite him to my party. <laughs> but my heart's kind of lukewarm toward him. Kind of cold. I certainly don't go out of my way to show him affection or to show him that he's worthy of it all. And I'm gonna address that here in a moment, right? Let's just finish verse 48, 49, and 50. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You've been washed clean. And again, I don't think it's that, hey, because you show me that you love me, it's, I think that was already true of her, but I think Jesus says it out loud because what, again, what's Luke doing? What's Jesus doing? He's trying to show everyone there. Who am I? Who is this man? And he says out loud, your sins are forgiven. And everybody around him is like, what? <laughs> who has the authority to forgive sins? Verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus is keep, keeps telling him, me. You guys understand limited authority? We understand the idea of authority, right? Executives have authority in the workplace. Teachers, authority in the classroom. Parents, authority in the home. To a limited extent. And Jesus is like, I've got all authority. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got the authority to look at someone, to look at you this morning and say, you're right with God. That thing you did back here, it's forgiven, it's gone. Your whole life worth of sin, Lord, everything I've done, everything I've thought, is far removed as the east is from the west. Buried at the bottom of the ocean, nailed to the cross and left there. You are clean and forgiven. And as he's going to tell this woman, look at verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Leave here different than you walked in. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask us, right? Have you experienced that? Have you heard Jesus say those words to you in your heart? Have you ever read those on the page and said, that applies to me? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have peace in your heart, in your soul. Rest for the weary. Forgiveness for your sin. Have you ever personally experienced that? And I'll I'll, I'll close out by just addressing two groups here because that's really what the parable addresses, right? Jesus has the ability to forgive sin, but there are two sort of responses to that, two groups. One is those of us who are here this morning, like the woman, uh, you're broken by your sin, by the things, things you've done and things done to you. It's not an either or. But you are broken by sin and you know it. You feel it. There are silent moments and quiet moments, lonely moments where you weep over the mess you've made of your life. And I just want to encourage you this morning, bring those tears to the feet of Jesus. Bring those tears to his feet and let him wash you clean. Just like this woman. Bring all of that mess, all of that brokenness, bring it to his feet in repentance. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. The sins are many, but your mercy is more. And you are my only hope. And hear him say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Be at peace. And then there's a second group of us this morning. And that is, the reality is everybody here is broken. Everybody here is broken by sin. None of us came out of the womb pursuing Christ, right? But there's some of us who are broken and we just don't know it. You don't see it. Like Simon, right? So, So... if I, I'm going to be as gentle as I can, but as, as truthful as I can. Some of us, you're here and you're like, Kale, I know the right answer is I'm a sinner. Like, I know that's the Bible answer. Maybe you grew up in church, but you're like, I just don't get it. <laughs> this whole like weeping and being like, I love Jesus. And you're like, I, <laughs> I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm a good person. And I don't get it. And I would say if that's where you are, man, you're where Simon is. Your pride has blinded you to the reality of your own sin, and it's keeping you from experiencing the grace of God. And I so want for you this morning. I've asked, and I'm going to encourage you to pray here in a moment, that you would just say, God, will you unblind my eyes? I don't think the point of Jesus' parable was to say, hey, some of us have a mountain of sin. Some of us, it's just a tiny molehill. You're a really good person, right? And, uh, and God just needs to clean you up a little bit, but sorry, you're just not going to love him much, right? Because you didn't really, I don't think that's the point. I think his point is some of us are aware of the mountain and some of us are totally blind to it. And we're like, I'm a good person and I just don't understand why I really need Jesus. And so your lack of affection toward him and your lack of love toward him shows that you don't really understand the reality of your deadness and sin. And so you've not yet experienced what it means to be made alive in Christ And this morning, that can change. I'm going to encourage you to pray and to say, Lord, will you just unblind my eyes 
so that I can see the reality of my own sin, so I can see the depth of my brokenness. Not so you can stay there. I do not want you to stay there and wallow in that so that you can see, as you see the depth of your sin, you can see the height of his grace. And you can see I've been washed clean, made alive in Christ and adopted into the family of God. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that this morning, maybe for the first time, you'll experience the love of God for you personally and the forgiveness of all your sin. And it will lead to a heart level, life-changing love and affection for the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, there are some of us here this morning who uh, may be close to tears right now because when we see this woman and we think of her story, we see reflections of our own life. We see the things we've done and uh, the things done to us and that brokenness is not something we need anyone to explain to us. We feel it, we carry it, we live with it, we suppress it. And God, this morning, I'm asking that for anyone who's here, who's been carrying that around like the weight, this morning they would understand and receive by faith the grace that you offer. That they would bring those tears to your feet and they would hear you say, son, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That they would be able to recognize that what you did at the cross was enough to pay for their sin, past, present, and future. And that because you live, they too can live. God, will you heal that brokenness this morning? Thank you that you have in and through Jesus. And I pray, God, for every soul this morning who feels it and sees it, that they would repent of sin and place their faith in you right now, this morning. And then God, I pray for those of us who uh, we just don't see it. And maybe this morning for the first time, uh, some of us have realized that my heart is cold toward Christ, lukewarm at best. God, will you humble us? Will you humble those who are in that seat right now? Unblind the eyes and let us see and feel and realize the depth of our brokenness, the weight of sin, not so we can stay there, but so that we can celebrate and truly experience the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God for us in Christ, the height of your grace. Father, we love you, and we ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.